Okay. So, <laughs> so unfortunately, this week we only got one microphone. Yeah, because Jay doesn't know how to do it. No, I know what I'm doing. We don't have all the equipment we need. I'm just, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know how to do this. So we're rocking with one microphone this week. Um, for episode two of Life with Matcha. Um, Life with Matcha. What does matcha mean? We gotta do that again. So. Well, matcha is matcha, but like, what does it mean <laughs> in the context of our show? Um, matcha is our dog, chilling right here. We'll have a picture right here, I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, matcha is our favorite tea that we drink, to, that we like to drink, and matcha is us because we are a matcha made in heaven. And we're gonna say that every single week, um, and it's gonna get really irritating. Wait, I want to give a recommendation on what drink to get. This is how I got matcha's name. It's an ice cream tea latte with extra caramel drizzle, you know, the vibes. And <laughs> I got it's matcha. So, yes. No, no lemonade. It's latte. Okay. So this week, um, we were thinking about, like, actually scripting out a show. And we did it. <laughs> we, we were also thinking about actually having some matcha this week. <laughs> and we didn't do that either. Um, we were thinking about a lot of things this week that we were going to do. And we didn't do any of them. But that's okay because we're a matcha made in heaven. Exactly. That's the only part that... So as long as that part is still there, then the show can go on, I think. As long as we are the matcha made in heaven. Oh, God. <laughs> what happened today because Jay didn't ghost me. <laughs> Jayden, so Jay didn't ghost me today because he was making me boba and I thought he was sleeping. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is I didn't ghost you then. I was busy doing something for you. Fucking lying. Anyway, <laughs> I called him four times. No response. I texted him, no response. I was about to say, wow, he ghosted me after two years. And then when she got to my house, she came into a kitchen filled with a bunch of little bubble balls that we were about to cook. But are still not, They're cooked, not yet. cooked yet. <laughs> They're not cooked yet because we were doing this. All right then. <laughs> um, all right, so this week we are gonna talk about I wanna talk about the vaccine. And I also want to talk about Brandon, I forgot his last name. Brandon Bernard, yeah. Yes, because that was very sad to, like, I don't know, we're another part of history that I don't want to be part of. I hate it here. But, yeah, we're going to take Christmas photos. That's why you see a Christmas tree. We're in the spirit. Beautifully decorated, by the way. By By me. Yours truly. Period. And matcha's in a Christmas sweater. Anyone listening on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, you don't get to see matcha um, unless you go to YouTube.com uh, and you see Life with Matcha. And yes. you, you see our whole channel there with our second video, which will be this one. Uh, you can you can watch all of that. Um, you can also find my YouTube. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to find my Okay, but you can find matcha-related stuff. At every social media platform, basically, yeah. L-I-F-E-W-M-A-T-C-H-A. 
again, it's Life W Matcha. <laughs> That's right. So we want to start with talking about this vaccine. Um, what are your like initial thoughts about it? Because I know a lot of people are very like skeptical about it. I'm actually getting ready for when I do the first episode of my like live thing on Tuesday. Join the Discord. Um, I saw. I saw. Yeah, is that a cool name? I like that. I like that. Um, I'm getting ready on that one for the first episode to talk about reasons why we should trust it. I gotta think of some reasons though. So I'm just—I feel like it's a community service. Like I need to, it's, it's something good to have people trust that and like let's rebound out of this pandemic situation. But like, what are your initial thoughts? Are you like that skeptical or? I was very skeptical just because I don't know. It makes sense. Okay, let me preference first that the microchip stuff and I don't know that kind of stuff. I really don't believe. I understand why people do believe that, but we have social media, we have our phones, we have a social security number. We already have like we've been to the doctors. They have our blood samples. Like, there's. I don't see a point on how or why the government would care so much about us individually. Like, what is my little cousin that's going to get the vaccine? Like, why do they care about her? Like, you know? So, I just want to say that I think that's irrelevant, but I do understand why people would, under like, be skeptical about that. But I know in myself, mm -hmm. my thoughts aren't filled with that. Yeah. But I was very scared because vaccines take years to develop. Just because you need long-term testing, and even like medium like term testing and the pandemic's only been happening coronavirus was like what over a year now like a year and like two months ish or a month it started in november that's when they first announced it mm -hmm. and then <coughs> like they just started it so yeah I'm, that's my initial thoughts what are yours so so one thing that like just i thought of as you were saying that was the fact that it has been a year of this pandemic now it is over a year at this point so i don't think it's even a stretch to say that this wasn't made in two weeks mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like as much as i've been saying that just the same we've been talking about this i was like oh it's so quick like how do they put this together that fast it seems like reasons to be skeptical like that and all honesty they've had a year now and it's just now coming out which means like it took a year that's a full year of testing different it's, I think it's different that the trial period hasn't been as long. Um, like, they probably recently landed on something that worked. But, like, they had a year to find what worked. And so, I don't know. I think some of my initial thoughts are still that I think that there's some... It, there's a reasonable reason to be skeptical of the risks involved with taking something that's made that quickly. Um See, I don't even, that's that's where I've been sitting with it. I don't know how to, like, escape that mindset. of, But I guess, like I just said, like, they have had more time than we are, like, perceiving. It, another aspect is, like, this whole pandemic time has been going so fast, yeah. but also, like, slow at the same time, you know? So, like, it seems like it's been much shorter than it really has. It's been a full year again. I was talking to my mom yesterday, and... We were talking about reasons like to be skeptical or not to be skeptical of it. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking like in another world, like I was going to be a, a bio major, right? Yeah. 
in another world, if I had completed that course and like went the whole pre-med biology major route um, and like worked in a lab that was one like the, the ones that are making these vaccines, I could have been a part of that system. Mm-hmm. And so if it's something that I could have potentially been a part of and that like people like me and like you are part of, mm-hmm. it's not like a bunch of like uh, white, I guess they're all wearing white coats because it's a lab, but like not a bunch of like government employees, people who are like all mystical and obscure. Trained scientists, like they got a degree, they went to school for it. So I think another thing to bring up is that I've been following, we've been following CDC guidelines and we've been wearing masks. We've been washing our hands, sanitizing everything. And I think it's very hypocritical of us to not take the vaccine when the CDC is saying that we should. And it's like it goes against everything. It gives another argument to like the Republicans, the Trump supporters that don't support it. Like you've been following CDC this whole time and now that a vaccine is out, you're not going to follow them. So I feel like like it's hypocritical of me to, to say like I don't want to take it when the, I've been following CDC and I've been like taking the precautions they've been telling us to take and just like not following their rules. Like I'm just another person I used to make fun of for people that are anti-mask. So I don't know. Yeah, I think another part, um, like a reason why people might be distrustful of even the CDC, and I totally agree with that. Like it's not, I feel like we're misdirecting our, um, like our anger and everything that's really toward like Trump um, and like, the Republican Party, honestly, um, and just like the whole administration of the United States right now, people in leadership right now, like we're upset, we're angry, right? And we're misdirecting that anger toward the CDC and toward these companies that are making this vaccine. They're like really trying to do this. And we're taking our like mistrust of Donald Trump and we're placing that on them. They're very much independent though. Um, but I was going to say another reason people might be distrustful of even the CDC, if like we've you know we've been following these precautions but then the cdc is giving something to put in our bodies mm-hmm. there's like points in history where like qualified medical professionals researchers scientists they have done harm to like the black community with like uh i think it was in tuskegee or something like that like yeah. experiments with syphilis and stuff like that um you know you thought you just read that book henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. could you say anything about yeah, so this black woman had, um, I forgot what type of cancer. It was definitely more in the, I think it was cervical, but it was definitely more towards the vagina area. And um, they took some of her cells and they ended up being able to reproduce them. So in some, they like took it without her knowing and she died and her family didn't know that they have her cells and they're still alive. Like Henrietta Lacks is still alive out there, like her cells. They sent her up to the moon. They sent her everywhere. Like we've reproduced her cells like so many times, like because it grows so fast. So they use it for science. They use it for everything. And you know what happened? That family did not receive a dime. For real though, but it's stuff like that. That's like reasons why we should at some points be distrustful of the government of like scientists even as much as like science can seem objective there's clearly like non-objective factors like that like 
people intentionally either seeking to harm people for their research. That's like pretty evil research. That's like evil sciences level stuff. But the stuff like that, and I think the one thing that's comforting in that respect about this all is the fact that like those experiments, they were being done with very centralized power, mm-hmm. right? So like the Tuskegee experiments, and I don't know everything about that. I don't know everything about the Henrietta Lacks like situation, but like I'd imagine those were taking place in like a specific laboratory or something. It wasn't a nation's elected officials and you know the people who were put in power by people uh, through decentralized power. They weren't the ones who like collectively decided to to do experiments with syphilis on like Black Americans in the South. Mm-hmm. You know they didn't uh, democratically elect to take Henrietta Lacks cells without her permission, without her family's knowledge, and then reproduce them without compensating them. This is like the CDC is much bigger than any single lab that could be doing these kinds of trials. Mm-hmm. And so I think I find it also comforting that like. This is a much bigger thing than we really understand it to be. This is. I also want to add, it's 2020. Um, our technology has advanced a lot. And obviously vaccines need the virus. I read it somewhere. I don't remember where. I think Reddit. They were talking about it. They were talking about the vaccine. They were saying, like, now it's 2020. We have so many, like, advances that we've made we've had a bunch of funding from different like a lot of people didn't like bill gates donate a lot of money to that and yeah also one thing about that um i don't think bill gates cares about us too because they're saying bill gates is the one that's putting this and then also linking it to 5g and all that stuff and i think it's dumb but you know what if you think that and you have better reasoning you can leave a comment you could tell us you have a conversation with us yeah um i think i was at first distrustful of the bill gates situation too (laughs) i didn't i knew that him and his family and like his wife bill and melinda gates they um they do a lot of humanitarian stuff i knew that i didn't know that part of their humanitarian efforts have like for years and years and years now have been in like making like medical advances and like making vaccines and like yeah see like how (laughs) like i don't know that we were supposed to know that like we're not supposed to be bill gates fanatics or anything but but yeah so they've they've been doing this um this isn't like people should have seen this coming i don't think this was unpredictable like oh all of a sudden bill and melinda gates are funding this when they've been doing that and they're willing to give it out. <laughs> like, they're not the, I mean, billionaires eat the rich, but <laughs> but they are doing something helpful towards us. If you didn't know, Bill Gates actually has a bunch of foundations, actually. Um, I can't remember any, but I know one that was very beneficial to me as a student. Um, they have, like, a free textbook thing. And... They have free textbooks that you can look at. It's on a website. I can't remember what it is, but it can be super helpful for other students. Um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Um, while we're on the topic of Bill Gates, I heard from my roommate last year. Um, um, I heard that he reads like an insane amount of books, 
And I don't know why I never would have guessed that. Like, I just don't picture that people do that, I guess. I don't know. I don't think about people, like, reading crazy amounts of books. But I heard that he said something about, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to misquote him, but I feel it was something like a book a day. Like, type. I know. I'm saying, like, that's crazy. He keeps, like, a briefcase filled with books. That was, like, what I heard from are you talking about Nate or Bill Gates? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates, he's like a briefcase of books at his disposal. He just like flips through and like reads them, actually reads them thoroughly that fast. Um, and Nate was saying like how brilliant he is. So Nate doesn't do that, but Nate was inspired to start reading more and like attempt to do something more like that, um, which also inspired me, honestly. Like when I saw someone else trying to do that, I was like, you know, I need to be reading more than I actually do. <laughs> I think, I don't know, it sucks because in middle school we had what book club or not book club? Well, I joined a book club too, so <laughs> yeah. So we had like a like a middle of the day period where we're supposed to read, and I thought that was so beneficial towards us. Like now as college students, we only read what we're supposed to read. And even then, I don't even read the textbook. And I'm really excited for my short fiction class. I really love reading fiction books. I love reading mystery books. But like my reading habits have gone down so bad. I remember I read, I think it's called The Runaway Dolls. Do you remember that book? I read that in my grandma's room one cold winter day and I read it all, like the whole thing in one day. And like now I can't even read a chapter without me saying, okay, TikTok break. <laughs> okay, but like I don't have time to read like the way I used to. I mean, we have different responsibilities now, now that we're older. But I think it's really important that we push that reading because me not reading, I feel a little dumber. <laughs> Just a little bit. Like, I feel like my vocabulary has gone down a lot. I can't really articulate my words the way I want them to. I'm always asking Jaden, what's that one word? <laughs> and I never, like, know what it is. But when I was younger, I felt like I wrote books. I read books. I won young authors twice. <laughs> and now I am just a bum on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's right here's my bum on tip <laughs> um no i definitely feel that though and I'm like we don't have to stay on this topic of reading but oh, yeah. but but real quick like i i definitely feel that though like i i've experienced the same thing of like feeling like like slower like mentally almost like my memory isn't as good like stuff like that um, and also, I remember, so I didn't go um, to, like, a public elementary school at all before Marquardt, right? And so I was at this, like, really small private school. But part of, like, really small schools is that, like, you're very close with the teacher in, in your class. Um, and so when we were doing reading in that class and, like, those classes when I was much younger, we were very, like, like intimately reading, like, reading out loud in groups every single day. So every student around me was like really, um, I mean, there, not everyone was just like a genius or not everyone was like reading at some crazy level, but like we practiced a lot, you know? Um, and we also had this huge focus on spelling. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, because you were in the spelling bee. <laughs> yeah, I was in the spelling bee, I was in the spelling bee. <laughs> 
but we had this huge focus on spelling and reading mm-hmm. um and those are things that can really only come with like small classroom sizes which is why i feel like i had like a real advantage in that respect um but then when i got to marcourt and like i love like a lot of other aspects of marcourt but one thing that i felt like i was actually missing out on was and that's not even specific to marcourt um middle school just a preference marcourt is our middle school that we went to thank you for that yes um that's not against Marquardt at all. It's just like public schools. Like they don't have the capacity for that because of how many people they need to have in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like when I went to a public school from a private school, I like noticed that missing from my life and like my academic experience. And so that was interesting. Like I've thought about that a lot uh, over the years. Yeah. And like, yeah, like how important it is to have that focus on reading. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Gates, like he's a genius now, yeah. you know, because of him doing that. And so, like, obviously, I wasn't a genius in fifth grade reading a bunch with my mm-hmm. classmates, but, like, that's the kind of stuff that, that makes a difference in education. Um, in my elementary school, I went to a public elementary school. We did 100 reading. Well, we had a bunch of reading challenges. We actually had one that I did every year. My parents kind of lied because the prize was free Six Flag tickets. So every year, I would try, I would attempt it, but it didn't work. Um, But there was like a lot of resources for me to read a lot. Um, The public library by us, every summer they have a reading like challenge. And in the book, they give you like a little book and like there's like, I don't know, maybe like 15 or like maybe like, nine little things that you have to color in per page and each 15 minute you colored in yeah so and like the incentive incentive is prizes but like the school would push that they would have the librarians come in and like tell us about it and then then we started doing this thing called 100 reading or whatever and every 15 minutes your parents initial on a page i signed in myself and it kind of correlated to this whole system where you read like a certain color, like I was in purple or something, and you try to advance that, and then you also get like a different folder color every time you reach like a like another hundred steps. There was this one girl that I know that she was cheating, and I will always say that she was cheating because she got her name announced to like the whole like intercom, and it would be like. I'm not gonna say her name because I don't wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna sneak this her. But but it would say her name and then it'll be like reached like a thousand steps today when we're literally on five hundred. Like girl, what you're lying. Why did they not like the teachers didn't like say anything about it? Like obviously this girl was signing them herself. Like if you're gonna sign them yourself, you should do it reasonably, <laughs> like I did. No, I, I think all right, so now that we've decided to stick on this topic of reading so much. Um, okay, so I think one difference, though, because that, like, that would describe an emphasis on reading, I think. How you're saying, like, you had these, like, access, um, you had access to these sources of reading um, and, like, people challenging you to read and stuff like that. I think the difference, though, and why, like, this is something that I'm really, I think about a lot now. Like, the disadvantages that are placed on people simply for not being able to like 
sometimes it's not being able to afford. Sometimes it's like the the religion, you know, like people who aren't Christian, they're not going to go to like a Christian private school. But there's also people who just genuinely can't afford to. And then they get put into the system of public education. And that's not a bad thing at all. It's the fact that the way that they function because of how many more students there are and with the lack of teachers who are willing to accept such low pay to teach so many students. Like, I think the difference in my experience that that made me feel like I was missing something when I left that was the fact that we were in class reading every single day in like small groups with our teachers. And we were like divided. Um, you know how we had like the different reading levels in middle school? In elementary school, we had reading levels, but like our teacher would take a certain level group. Um, I remember I, in one grade, I was in like the orange level and they didn't tell you like there was a tier to it, but like we knew what orange meant. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we knew what that meant. Um, but like my teacher would take the orange group and we would read at a table together and like other students would be doing their math stuff or their whatever they're doing. But it's like that emphasis, like the sitting down in front of someone who's saying like, you mispronounced that word, here's how you say it. And like, here's like a tip for how you can read this or like stuff like that. And like, um, like reading alongside people and not giving them the chance to like how you were saying, like, um, like lying on the forums and stuff like that. Like, as soon as I got to Marcourt, I did the same thing. You know, I lied to, you know, we all did <laughs> because we had an opportunity to. And so I feel like once that opportunity is gone, then it like forces students and young people to like learn those things. That's what I felt like I was missing. I was missing like that real push, like that forced, um, yeah. One last thing before we move away from the reading topic. I feel like I had the same experience as you did almost when you said that your teachers would like have you go in as like a small group or type of thing. Like we did that too, but I feel like it wasn't like heavily like pushed where like the teacher would give you like tips or anything. It was just like we're all reading together. And it also kind of sucked because um, sadly, I am a gifted student that kind of went down the wrong path because I was I couldn't study. Are we all? <laughs> so because I was, I guess, gifted or whatever, like I was advanced, like they didn't really put much pressure on me because they were like, oh, this girl already knows what to do, which kind of sucked. And the only benefit of being a gifted student was having gifted math. And I left the classroom and went to a different one with like other people that were in that group but like it kind of sucked like nobody really cared about you if you're one of those struggling kids like you got extra help um i'm not gonna say his name but my neighbor he did this he had to go get help and he was like he had to leave the classroom and go like talk to a teacher and he, she would help him and everything and it was just like such a different experience for me and him when we would because he would drive me home. Like, we couldn't, like, relate on what our classwork was, like, what we were doing, because he was doing something completely different. And it was beneficial for him, but, like, I kind of was just like, oh, I didn't get to do that. And I was kind of, like, sad. So I got a question for you. Before we get off the topic of reading still, because, um, like, I've been – I thought that – I had a much different experience at my school. And I was like, that's unfair to like, to go to a different school then. 
um, with people who like wouldn't have gone to the other school and then have a completely different experience. I always thought in my head like that's like terrible. Like that students are like separated in those respects, and like one student gets an entirely different educational experience. That, in my opinion, I thought helped me a lot more. So I was like, for everyone else, they're just like not receiving what I thought I was getting, which was good. But it seems like in your experience, you're saying like yours was closer to my experience than I thought. Is that true? Okay, so my question is, what do you, and I'm, you might not have the answer, what do you think, like, was the difference then when I did go to public school, when I was, like, I felt like it was different, you know, so I, maybe I misinterpreted, maybe I misunderstood what was different, and I've, like, kind of just made up the story in my head to accept, speculation, I'm making up, but, like, speculation, like, seeing how things have turned out, but, like, what do you think might be that reason that there was that disparity then? If anything, um, I do want to say there is for sure um, like a major difference in a lot of schools. Like a lot of people will have other opportunities, other advantages than other schools. I've learned that in my class, and it's really sad just to see it because you can. There's like data that shows like these kids get lower test scores. But that's because they don't get the same opportunities. They don't get the same funding for the school, which is terrible. Like, it's just like, um, it's called the prison pipeline. So these students, like, especially the kids in the city, Chicago, and then the kids more. In yes, school to prison pipeline. Um, and then schools more in the rural areas where they don't get much funding, they're at a disadvantage than all these kids. Like, you went to a private school, I'm pretty sure you definitely had a lot of other advantages, but I do want to ask, like, what was your average class size first before I, like, say anything? My average class size was incredibly small. It was very small. Really? Yeah, and there was usually a heavy imbalance between, um, like, boys and girls in my classes. So there was, like, almost no boys and there were almost exclusively girls, and then maybe a classroom size of, like, in the upper level classes, not upper level classes, but, like, the upper grades, because it was K through 8, um, or pre-K through 8, actually, so in, like, 8th grade, that's a point when, like, a lot of students would have dropped out and, like, gone to a public school at that point, like I did, um, dropped out, just going to a different school. <laughs> cool. I'll get to that after, okay. I'll get, remind me, please, um, but but in those classes, in, like, the eighth grade classes, they were at, like, tw 11 students. Yeah. And then, like, kindergarten, pre-K, there were just more kids there. Um, and that might be, like, up to, like, max at the very youngest grade, it would be, like, 29 students. Oh, okay. But, like, that's still pretty small, you know? Um do you got something to add to that? Or do you want me to say the? <laughs> um, I think I was about to say like, because you went to a private school, not a lot of kids. Like, honestly, growing up, I didn't even know there was such thing as private schools. I just thought school is school. You know what's funny? I didn't know there were public schools. Anyways, but I, I was really surprised when you said you only had like eleven students um my classrooms were i was always number 10 because we were like labeled like numbers you know <laughs> you know so 
I think there was like at least 18 to 20, sometimes 25, 26 per classroom. And I think that does give us like a disadvantage. You know how colleges like push that, like smaller colleges push like, oh, it's a lot of, um, there's a smaller ratio of students too. <laughs> there's like smaller schools and more private ones, colleges, whatever, they really push that. There's a small ratio of students to professor and that that really does impact your learning. Obviously, private lessons for musical instruments are a major like factor in your musical cre career. Like without it, it's like crazy. That's a whole different um, thing I wanna talk about, you know? <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Um, but because you only had like 11 students, it was definitely easier for your teacher to put more emphasis on catering to your learning. And I think obviously with when you went to Marquardt, we had bigger class sizes, like they didn't really care about you. If you're already doing like good, if you already had like an A, they were like, all right, just do your thing. But obviously with the kids that had lower grades, they put their needs first. And I mean, it sucks, but if my peers are having, are struggling more and I'm doing just fine, put more emphasis on them. Like, don't worry about me. Like if I need help, I'll just look it up. Like it's no big deal, but it does suck for those students that don't have those, like that mindset, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's there's a lot to discuss with this whole topic of like class sizes and school and all that. Um, so before we talk about the um, Brandon Bernard situation, the and actually, did you know there was another one in Indiana as well that was last night? So 24 hours after Brandon Bernard was executed. Before we get into that discussion, um, we're gonna just briefly give the story of how I was not I wasn't kicked out necessarily of um of my school that private school that we were just discussing um I wasn't kicked out but I decidedly left after having some like major issues there um and the major issue was that I got my ears pierced when I was in um the somewhere between 5th and 6th grade I got like these little studs right here um it looked bogus but <laughs> thank you thank you um it looked bogus, though. <laughs> but but so I I got them pierced, and then I was hanging around with some friends and stuff, and like this was a very small community of people, um, and so the word like traveled fast that I got my ears pierced for whatever reason. Like that was major news to everybody. They're like, Jaden got his ears pierced. Jaden got his ears pierced. Jayden. I was like, okay, yeah, I got them. Everyone was talking about it to some extent, um, and it ended up getting around to like principal of this like very small private school but the principal and he was a new principal too the last one who was like really good family friend of ours um he was gone he moved to like pennsylvania to be a principal at a different school um and they brought in this new guy and this new guy when he found out that i pierced my ears he had a conversation like directly with my parents and said like like i don't remember the like, words that were used but essentially what happened was that i was not welcome back unless I stopped wearing my my earrings, my ears. Um, and I wasn't rocking with that. And so I <laughs> I know his, and it's like such a small school. And it was the fact that they're constantly doing fundraisers 
for a reason. It wasn't because they're like like money hungry, but this was a school that like actually needed money, actually needed like like customers, like people paying for education, paying tuition. And um, they were like, you can either take them out or you're not welcome back. And we're like, okay. <laughs> we're like, we'll go like not spend all this money on tuition and just go to like a local school that's perfectly okay. And they're like, they they like kept on trying to convince, like, just take them out. And I was like, I'm not taking them out. <laughs> I'm not. Um, but no, it was the crazy part to me though was that this was a, I was 11 years old, right? And there were like, I had other experiences with them, like, commenting about, like, my appearance and stuff and, like, things that I would wear. Another thing I used to do, I would wear my, um, I would wear, what was it called? Uh, oh, the shoelaces. Yeah. yeah. I would wear different colored shoelaces. And, like, there was a point prior to this discussion about the earrings that they had a problem with the shoelaces. And they were saying it had to do with, like, like gang-related stuff. I'm 11. 11. I'm a baby, literally. <laughs> I'm a I'm a little kid, and they're talking about gang related a suburb. I'm gonna cut that out. <laughs> it's a suburb still. It is a suburb, but yeah, I feel like okay. there's there's you know like violence and stuff like gang stuff. That's not restricted to like inner city or anything. True. So, but I do want to say it's just because like that suburb that school was in. It's a very I think predominantly white suburb, like you know. That's very accurate. Yeah. So it, it was, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, it's hard to say stuff like that. Yeah. But basically, you're exactly right. It's a very white, affluent area. Um, and, like, that's not to say that no crime happens there because um, there is, like, white collar crime that happens there. It's, that's the kind of crime that people don't get caught up for because the world doesn't care enough about it. They'd rather put, like, black and brown people and poor people. Um, in prison than they would those communities but it's like i'm i'm from one of those areas i'm going to a school in an area like that um and they had the nerve to say like like game related the other side then was that like in this experience with the earrings they weren't commenting um they were partially concerned about like game related stuff like that's not they said that's not what our school represents when i like when they told me to take the earrings off they're like that's not what our school represents and I'm thinking, like, what about that is, like, what you don't represent? And I figured out, like, over time, they meant two things. So one was the same idea of, like, game-related. They didn't want, like, like street culture, like, the kind of culture that wears jewelry and stuff. And, like, I mean, I'm not, like, the most street dude by any means. I'm very much just, like, regular like from the suburbs again. Um, but, like, that's also just the culture that I'm a part of to some extent does participate in that. And they're like, that doesn't represent our school well. I'm like, okay. Another part of it, though, was that they were telling me, like, earrings for guys was, like, like homosexual. And so, like, that's a whole other issue to, like, sexualize an 11-year-old. And so, <laughs> they're like, you have your ears pierced? You must like men. I'm like, <laughs> I don't like anybody. I like playing with Beyblades and Legos. <laughs> we you know xbox super mario brothers i'm not concerned with anything other than that really and so to put that on 11 year old that's pretty ridiculous um all right we should move on to we'll just wrap it up because it's getting long into here now but um we should talk about brandon bernard um do you want to start us off do you want me to start us off with like some context and stuff yeah, I'm gonna ask you, like, I wanna, you should start off because 
Um, I know a few things, but I'm scared I'm going to misquote some things I've seen and like, I don't know. I don't want to say wrong things on this really important subject. So you go. All right. But so I'm like similar. I I haven't done extensive research into this. This is very much something that I've been observing just through the news, like the only um, medium through which I can like observe it. Basically, Brandon Bernard was um, he was incarcerated because of a crime in 1999. And to my the extent of my knowledge, he was an accomplice in that crime. It was a brutal murder, though. I've heard like some details. It was it was torture and murder. And it was like he I don't know that it was him because, again, he's an accomplice. I don't know the exact role of his like accomplice, accomplice ship, whatever that'd be called. Um, accomplicity. Um <laughs> I don't know his role exactly, but him and other people, the people who actually were the the true full perpetrators of the crime, who were also executed and have like already been dead and killed, um, they stole a car with the people in it, okay, and they like like tortured the people, like had them in the trunk and like tortured them for like hours and stuff, and the people were um, that the victims of the crime, they were like. I believe it was a young white, like, I'm just saying white, because this is a very racial matter, I feel. And so it's just, I'm being clear, I'm being clear uh, with everybody's, like, identity in this. A young white um, couple of, like, youth pastors, I believe they were. And so now we've got, like, factors of race at play, for one. Um, And I'm talking about in the matter now. So in the matter then, I don't know the motives of that crime. Whatever it was, it was heinous, clearly. But now, 21 years later, we're seeing factors of race at play as well as religion at play. The fact that the fact that they're pastors, so people are putting people are putting their pastorship, um, if that's a word, on this pedestal and saying like he murdered pastors. So if he murdered a construction worker, would that have been any better? That's that's a dumb argument. Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Um, and so they were brutally murdered. Again, he was a, an accomplice, whatever that means by his role. I'm not exactly sure. The thing that's killing me now and, like, killing people who are seeing this and observing this, like, around the world, around the country, is a whole lot of things. For one, it's the fact that this is the... I believe it's like the 11th or like the 13th. Um, 11th or 13th. I can't remember which figure is accurate. But the 11th or the 13th uh, federal execution since like 1976. I actually read somewhere that it said this is the first year with the highest number of federally executions. Or I don't know how to word that. With federal executions. You know why? I'm about to say it right now. Again, 11 or 13 in the past, like, since 1976, and eight of them have been under the Trump administration. And this year has been so many because it's, like, his um his last year in. And, like, they're trying to kill people. Essentially. They're trying to get these executions done because Joe Biden has already said he's going to, like, uh, what's it called? He's going to um, have some sort of order to just get rid of the federal penalty and encourage states through different incentives. Um, to get rid of their own death penalty systems. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is an obvious effort to kill people. Yeah. This is an effort to execute more people, more people. And the fact that, like, 
I don't know the exact demographics of the people that are being killed, but like one was Brandon Bernard, who was a black man, a reformed inmate at that, someone who's had had been on good behavior for years and years, who's apologized to the family. Um, and the thing is, the family's not even taking it from him. Like they're they're not even accepting what he has to say about it. And they're saying, like, they've already said thank you to Donald Trump. Thank you to the State Department. Thank you to Attorney General William Barr. Um, and they're saying thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing justice and giving us closure. You needed to murder someone for a, a crime that was committed 21 years ago for closure? And this is, again, we're talking about religion. This is, these are religious people. These are Christian people. And they're talking about you need to murder someone to get, like, vengeance and justice. And that brought you closure? I do want to say pro-life doesn't really matter to them. It is only a way, I don't know, just to make them feel good about themselves unless it's murdering somebody else. Um, prison is supposed to be for reform. And I learned that in sociology class. There's like five main points of a prison system. And one of them is for rehabilitation rehabilitation and this man Brandon Bernard clearly went through it and he was even mentoring other inmates and he was telling people like don't follow wrong uh, follow the wrong crowd and he was telling everybody that he even told his daughter that he tells her that every day I saw that in a a letter that she wrote about the whole issue um and she or not she Brandon Bernard even told Kim Kardashian, she posted this on her story, he, she was an advocate for him, trying to get him off the death penalty, and she was even saying, like, he was telling me, like, like, I regret all the things I've done, um, I've, like, like, he's just changed as a whole person, and none of that mattered to Donald Trump, and none of that mattered to, obviously, the family, None of that mattered to anybody else advocating for his death. Is that the right word? Advocating for his death? As, or like supporting the death penalty for him? Um, but yeah, I also want to add, I saw somewhere that Brandon Bernard's um, case was actually presented to Obama too. Yeah, so I saw, I saw this conversation on Twitter. You can't really trust everything on Twitter, but from what I saw... They were saying that he, Brandon Bernard, was like, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but Obama could have passed like and said like he doesn't need the death penalty. He yeah, he could have parted it. And the thing is, people were like very angry about that. Like Obama could have done like prevented this, but he left Trump to deal with it. And obviously he knew what Trump's agenda was. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, is that Obama had a lot of cases like at during his presidency like he had a lot of them and he parted a lot of people's like death penalty so out of all of that many Brandon Bernard was unfortunately like not noticed and Donald Trump was up like it was for his decision um I forgot where I was going with this so I'm just gonna pass it to you all right, thank you um and I got something to add about that, because I didn't know that Obama was, like, prompted. And it makes sense, because it's been, you know, I'm sure uh, before Obama was prompted with it, George Bush was prompted with it, because this is, like, a very pressing issue, the death penalty. And, like, we are, um, we were among, like, not that but we're by any means the only country 
that does the dynamic flip, like participates in that practice. Um, but it's like a pretty medieval practice at this point. Like there's not many countries do it. And it's because more countries than not now, they understand the effect. Like killing people does not reduce crime. That's proven. It's a, there's no point in arguing against that because it's proven. The death penalty does not reduce crime. Um, even prison doesn't reduce crime. But we're the we have the highest rate of incarceration in the world, more than China, more than Russia, more than Iran, like these like authoritarian <laughs> countries and stuff like where we'd imagine that, oh, people talk about um, you know, we talk about the United States is so free. And like like, oh, if you don't like freedom, then why don't you go live in Russia? I have a less chance of getting locked up in Russia than I do right here. <laughs> yeah. like, their prison system in every other country is so well, I don't want to misquote. I don't know about all countries, but I saw, I think, in Sweden when, remember that whole ASAP Rocky thing happened? He was, like, in, like, almost, like, a little dorm room. Like, yes. it was not prison that you would normally see here. And I don't know if this is the cause of it. Prison here is more for money. It's not for, yes, for profit. It's not for the true five reasons why it's supposed to be there. It's not helping these inmates. And, okay, this is off topic, but there was, like, a study that showed, like, a monkey can't be in, like, like, be isolated for, like, what, like, two days at max? And in prison, they, like, right now, obviously, with COVID, I saw, I actually saw a TikTok of an inmate taking a video of like from his cell and like just like out where you can see all the other cells like he's like once we get out of here because of covid um we'll throw a party because they were locking them inside their jail cell and i understand because of safety because it's covid but like these people like they're people like they have like emotions they have needs like they have to be like interacting with people you can't just like lock them up and also what's that thing where they like lock them up and like yeah, that is terrible. Here, say it out loud. Solitary confinement. Yeah, what you got to say about it? Yeah, I just want to say it's terrible. <laughs> it is, and that's, you know, we talked um, in week one. We skipped last week, so we're doing week two, two weeks after. The, so in week one, when we were talking about, um, we are talking about, uh, what's what was his name? Kyle? Kyle yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, and we're comparing that to Khalif Browder who was locked up in solitary confinement as a 17-year-old in a, an adult, federal, not federal, a state institution, state penitentiary, but like a prison. And he was in solitary confinement for a majority of three years. Like th how much that would psychologically mess you up as a person. But I wanted to say that the how you were saying like they, it's a for-profit industry and like they don't care. They don't care because again, they're just trying to make money. But even deeper than that, they don't care, how do I say this? It's at the same time that it's because they don't care, it's also because they care very much about subjecting people to this, okay? Prison system, the prison system is a form of social control. Did you know that? Yeah. Social control. I've like never heard those words together in relation to prison until I was reading on, um, on Friday. I was doing a live stream and I was reading from... Yeah, I was reading from The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. She said 
slavery um, and the prison system, et cetera, all like the, the whole evolution of that system into what is now mass incarceration is a form of social control. She also was talking about how not only social control, it's also a form of genocide. Um, and that's exactly what it is. It's almost, it's a form of warfare between the, the government, the United States government and the people group. When they're, when they're disproportionately, you know, pushed into these circumstances and then killed or imprisoned for it, that's warfare. That's direct attack on a community. Um, and again, it's social control to control that community. And again, it's genocide to kill that community. And so that's why when, when I say that the Trump administration right now is enforcing genocide, I'm not saying that in any sort of light way. Like the Trump administration right now, as well as the Obama administration, as well as the Bush administration, as well as the Clintons before that, and for 400 years prior, this has been like a, a form of genocide of African people in the United States. And so when you push people to the circumstances to which they commit crimes, and then you kill them for it, and you, you say that that's the most just way to handle is to kill them when that's clearly not the case, that's an excuse for genocide, and it's a bad excuse at that. But again, it's genocide. I feel like we need to be clear about that when we discuss that. I'm gonna say it again, it's genocide. I did want to add that, yes, it is genocide. I 100% agree. The death penalty disproportionately, um, what's it called, attacks or affects, yeah, affects the black Americans here, and it's terrible. Um, I also want to add, I actually did some research last year about just being it, being like, how the police react to or the statistics for the like searching people's vehicles and pulling them over for having drugs and this is all like public information you can request it i actually learned that in government in my senior year you can request anything almost anything and they either have to give it to you or if they have like a really good cause, I'd be like, no, we can't give it to you. Yes, um, but they did give the statistics of the Chicago police pulling over um, like different races. And it is very, like the percentage for black people, it's like all the way up. No matter how many years, and marijuana here is legal. And despite that being now it now that it's being now that it is legal, it still at, um, impacts the black community because they still pull them over regardless. And yeah, I just wanted to add that. I can't really remember anymore. I don't want to misquote anything, but I do remember like the graph itself, like um, the amount of people they pulled over that were white was far less than all the other ethnic groups and i'm gonna add to that because i was thinking in my head like clearly people are gonna respond to what you just said and they're gonna say like like okay yeah but how many black americans are in chicago like the the demographics like the proportions like that makes sense um in chicago white americans make up one third of the population african americans make up 29 percent, so around three percent less so to have such a drastic like disproportionate amount of black people being arrested, incarcerated, pulled over, et cetera. I mean, we could look at, um, you know, Hispanics as well. 
uh, white Hispanics, 18.1%. Um, other Hispanic is almost 10% or 9%. Like, the, the demographic data is there. And, like, if you're choosing to ignore the data, then you can, I guess, like, I'm not, I can't stop you from ignoring it. If people are trying to attack me because they say, like, no, this isn't true, whatever, um, the drug problem is very focused on the black community. When in reality, there's a lot more. I actually did, I can't remember the number, but I did it for sociology last year or last semester. I don't remember when. But there's a lot more people that, there's a lot more white people that take drugs, that do drugs like illegal drugs and that like that like what's it called the war on drugs or the war on drugs like it's being shown like black people um hispanic people like they are the ones that are taking or the ones that are abusing it a lot more when in reality like white people are just to blame like even blamed more like i don't know yeah no facts and it's like we're gonna wrap this up because we're we're a little over time, <laughs> um, and we're hungry. I'm very hungry. All day. Yeah, uh, me too. So we're gonna eat after this. Um, but just to wrap up, um, like what you just said is spot on, and it's the fact that like like people have written about this. This is not like us saying this now. It's not new at all. Not at all. Um, and so all we can do let. You know, we should finish reading up that new Jim Crow book because even in the introduction, they talk about exactly that. The war on drugs, um, the war on drugs is an extension on an extension of mass incarceration. It's a reason to massively incarcerate people. Um, and not only that, she talks about Michelle Alexander. She talks about uh, the war on drugs being a war on black people and how she heard that in like the 90s or something and she was or the early 2000s and she was like that's ridiculous whatever but that then she like later conceded like it is a war on black people and that goes right back to what i was saying it's a warfare between the government and this community like it's not that there's no mistake in saying that that is warfare and like true genocide these are like these are planned things to some extent at least it, we i don't know if we can say um, like Nixon and Reagan back in the day that they were not them together but like they were plotting um, like with other advisors and officials and stuff to directly do this but like whether they liked it or not that was the consequence one last thing um, I actually saw I've seen a lot of Twitter threads um, from a lot of black people that are saying like if you're an ally like here's are what things to do and what things not to do and one of the things was do not like say like like this is like new stuff that we should like no like clearly this has been happening and we should not discredit their emotions their feelings like i myself as not a black person but i would i would love to like educate other people that aren't on this issue like my friends i've told my friends about it when i was learning it in school and they're always so like oh my god is that for real like yes I'm not here to say like this is new things this is things that me and you have discovered like this has clearly been in a lot of things and we'll probably talk about like other things that aren't as known um and i just want to say like we're not here to like discredit like i don't know how to say it 
We're not here to make it look like we're some heroes. We're not here to make it look like we're like discovering a bunch of new things. We're just explaining the things that have already been discovered, like through our own minds. So I think that uh, successfully wraps us up for this week. Yes. All right, cool. Um, and so this has been Life with Matcha, episode two, week two of us doing this. Um, what's today's date? It's almost Christmas. The 12th. So we've got uh, what's that, 13 days till Christmas. Um, so we're getting a few more episodes or uh, one more episode. Yeah. Wow. Two more episodes for the year. One more before Christmas. So we'll have to do a special Christmas episode to release right around there. We'll have that coming up soon. Um, but other than that, is there anything we want to finish? No, I'm hungry. All right. We're hungry. Very hungry. We've been recording this for about an hour hour and something now so we're gonna cut it here uh, make sure you listen on spotify apple podcast soundcloud uh, this video will be on youtube i'm sure um and we will see you next week